This is the Unity Community of Central Oregon podcast. All right, so we have, I guess I'll give some brief introductions as best I can. <laughs> Reverend Jim, our very own Reverend Jim here. Now, we have Reverend Audra, who I don't know very well. I've just met for the first time this morning, so I can't give you much of an introduction on her. So we'll, we'll <laughs> I'll let you talk about that in a little bit. And then we have Reverend Tam, our very own Reverend Tam again here. And last but definitely not least, we have Reverend Jane. And these lovely shiny people are up here to answer your questions about metaphysics, unity, God. Childbirthing, perhaps child rearing. I don't know. We'll see what they have to. What you guys are, have pressing questions for them. Um, I'm gonna just. We'll get going, right? Okay. Can I start? Guys, mind if I start? Anybody here? Start thinking your questions up. Definitely don't be shy. This one's for Jim in particular, but I'd love to hear from the rest of you um, if you feel so inclined to comment on it. Jim, I've just mentioned. I'm reading his book right now. Flash. Flash, right? Um, they're available in the back corner there. I highly recommend giving it a read. I've been here for a few years now and jo known Jim for a few years now, and I'm just meeting him for the first time, to be honest with you, as I read this book about his life uh, and, and <laughs> some of the shenanigans that this guy has been up to and through. So it, the book is about a near death experience and in that process experiencing all the other potentially near-death experiences that he had been through uh, in his lifetime leading up to this point. And Jim, it was just one chapter after another where he's almost dying due to some shenanigans he's up to um, in a deep in a cave, 13 hours in, <laughs> in the pitch black darkness, barely making out alive countless motorcycle near misses, almost accidents and whatnot. And one of the things that cropped up for me, Jim, is it's, as I read this book, it's clearly obvious, at least in your case, and I get the sense in all of our cases, that there's more going on than we understand about living and dying, birth and death. The things that you, the times that you've avoided dying so many times now, how many times? 23 times he's very, very, very nearly died. And, and has not. And I get the sense that there is definitely some guiding help here keeping this man with us today to continue his work uh, despite his commitment to putting himself in harm's way <laughs> on a regular basis. <laughs> How do you reconcile that, Jim? The, the free will versus potentially uh, a higher power, an angel, guardian angels, whatnot. You, maybe controlling, keeping us between the guardrails, uh, how do you reconcile that in, in life? Whereas, you know, many of us think, you know, you're born, you die, that's it. There's nothing, it's all chance. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, okay, so to start with, uh, I have a, a brother-in-law, brother, uh, who is a mathematician, and he said, if you flip a coin 23 times and you have 50% chance of it coming up heads every time, what are the odds? And it's about five million to one. So clearly, odds don't have anything to do with my being here. <laughs> it has a lot more to do with spirit and with the fact that if I was meant to be somewhere else, I would be. So uh, philosophically, spiritually, 
I know that, you know, anytime I go on an adventure, I always use the prayer of protection. That's the first thing. And that's such a grounding prayer. Even if I'm getting on an airplane to fly, I use the prayer of protection, uh, number one. Number two, I always know that uh, there is a spirit within me that knows my limits and knows where I can push it and where I shouldn't push it. So it's just asking spirit to guide us through each and every aspect of our life, particularly when there's something that is challenging or concerning about what you're going into. But if it's an adventure, uh, then you want to go into that with your eyes wide open and with spirit guiding you. And so that's what I would say. Uh, but the, the near-death experience, the wonderful thing about that is that it releases you from both uh, the bonds of space and the bonds of time, and you recognize that you're not this body because you're beyond the body. And when you're beyond the body, that's what opened me up to, to spirit, to unity, to everything else, was finding that I am not this piece of flesh sitting here, bones, I guess, too. <laughs> it's just, we're so much more. Does that answer your question? Or? Perfect, thank you. Okay. Audra, do you have any comments on that? I don't have 23 um, near-death experiences Stick around to well. speak to <laughs> yet, apparently. Oh, okay, we'll get started right away. Um, but to, to the heart of my mother shaking her head, no, absolutely not. Um, so to the point of reconciling the free will versus the guardians, um, I absolutely believe that this life is a co-creative experience. And I also believe that this thing called divine intelligence is slightly more intelligent than myself and knows some things that I don't, but most importantly knows me well enough to know what I need to go t through to make the best choices for my highest experience. So as an example, um, earlier this year I recently moved to St. Louis and I thought that that was where I was going to be living for the foreseeable future. I left home at 17 and had no desire to move back towards my family. Um, <laughs> however, spirit knows what's in my best interest oftentimes more often than myself. So I went through some things at the beginning of this year that broke my heart in ways that my heart has never been broken. So when Mother's Day came, I ran home to my mother to heal. And in being in this beautiful place that we call Bend, I was able to heal and I was able to be open to the idea of living here. However, had I not had my heart broken at that level, I would not have been open to this next chapter in this physical geography. So that's an example of how some of the things that we go through serve us in ways that we could have never scripted. You guys should try being in the seat I am. I have this beautiful set of words coming out. I have mom right on the other side in the front row crying as her words come out. 
and that leads me to my response. Um, it's really easy when it's just me to talk about spirit leads me. Um, many of you have worked with me in prayer or whatever, and you'll always have me say to you, breathe in trust, breathe out fear. And we can get that down on an individual level. The free will and spirit guiding us that's hardest for me is being a parent. And the idea that spirit is holding my children and all of your children in the greatest possible place for their journey and their healing, I fight about all the time. I am positive I should be acknowledged as partly their God in order to guide them to be safe and sound and do what I think is right. And so, um, and have failed miserably, and I have five, and they could all testify to that. And, um, you know, so this idea that not only does spirit guide me, but the idea that I can surrender, that I have the answers for the children that I have been gifted to parent in this lifetime, and to surrender to spirit, to the universe, whoever you embrace and know, know something a whole lot more better than I. And so for me, I think the spirit side of risk and happiness and joy is far beyond anything I choose for myself. It's the free will to know they have that and to surrender all of my opinions and pray like heck it lands out well and be aware I might have to do cleanup but more importantly, that they have something so much more amazing than I could ever define here on earth. So I, I think that's how that shows up best for me. I think that idea of God's will is a tricky one because we've been raised with that. We've been raised with the idea that there is something outside of us that knows better than we do. And we have to guard ourselves from that language, because when we buy into that, we give away our power. And, and the key to it is defining who am I? Because if I'm talking about I from the limited ego perspective, just as everyone has said, we really don't know. We know what we want, you know, but we, we don't have access to the fullness of intelligence that is creating all that is. And yet, that's who we are. So I think that we may or may not get those cosmic messages of what is, what is in our best interest in advance. You know, it's a lot easier in hindsight, isn't it? When, when you look back at the, the threads of your life you can see, oh, yeah, all right, I see, that made sense. Yeah, I, I see what I was doing there. <laughs> but, but going in advance, it's hard to see that. And so I think having faith in knowing who we really are and just relaxing and letting it be. And, and that, that's how we go forward. For, for me, you were talking about parenting and... I just had this experience with my daughter giving birth and um, she needed a C-section and we knew that because the baby was breech and it wasn't coming. So we were all praying that the baby would flip 
and yet in the process of the C-section, they discovered some things medically that were very, very important that they would not have discovered had she not had a C-section. And so, you know, we could see that, oh, this was such a wonderful outcome for her. But in the prayer process, we didn't know that yet. And so the prayers, you know, there's always that this or something better that we pray, knowing that we are part of this wiseness that is everywhere present. And we can't really get it wrong. We can just get in the way. Thank you guys for that. Jim, I'm really glad you had those 23 near-death experiences so that I could have this understanding today after reading your books. So you had those just for me, as it turns out. <laughs> Question over here. All right. I was wondering, um, well, I have a question and then just a quick comment that sort of speaks to what all of you were say saying. Excuse me, my mouth is dry. Um, I was kind of wondering about Myrtle Fillmore. Um, my grandmother on my father's side was a Christian scientist, but yet I know from coming here that Myrtle Fillmore had something to do with the beginning of unity. When, when did she break away or did she break away? Was she always involved in unity? And I'll just go ahead and say my quick comment uh, so you can go to other people. Um, I see a therapist and I had some um, not so pleasant experiences in my childhood. And she gave me a little placard that really helped me. It says, excuse me, it says, my story, my ending. Yay. Yeah, nice. So I'll take the Myrtle Fillmore question. So Myrtle Fillmore and Charles Fillmore are the founders of Unity. And, but the lineage of that goes back. They were taught by um, Emma Curtis Hopkins. And she was also the teacher of Ernest Holmes. So Reverend Audra is from the Centers for Spiritual Living tradition. And Ernest Holmes was the founder of that. Emma Curtis Hopkins was the student of Mary Baker Eddy, who was the student of Phineas Quimby. So this is all happening in the 1870s. And Mary Baker Eddy um, had a profound experience. Phineas Quimby was somebody who was, he was just so soaked in spirit. And he was healing people right and left, thousands, thousands of people that he was healing, and he did it by sitting with them and getting inside their minds and figuring out what were the thoughts that they were holding in mind that were keeping them stuck in their lives, in, in illness or whatever it might have been. And he was able to help them change their thinking and then change their life, and so they had a lot of physical healings. And Mary Baker Eddy had this experience, and she saw what he had done. And he, he wasn't interested in starting a movement or anything else, he was just letting it all flow through him. And she was able to look at this and see, 
whoa, this could be organized. And so she took copious notes and she created the big book of, I'm not sure what it's called, but Christian Science, their book. And then, being human, she slipped and she claimed that this was a download from the divine and the final word on the planet. So she, she had ego that got in the way and so, Emma Curtis Hopkins was a student of hers who was brilliant and at one point she acknowledged Mary Baker Eddy in writing as one of the great uh, prophets or healers or teachers, I don't know what the word she used was, but one of just irritated Mary Baker Eddy <laughs> because in her mind she was in a class by herself, there was no other comparison to be made and so she kicked out Emma Baker, I mean, Emma Curtis Hopkins. So then Emma Curtis Hopkins started her own school to which the Fillmore's and Holmes and many, many others came. So she's considered the teacher of teachers and that's the lineage. Thank you. Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> A little, yeah. Tuberculosis, uh, that is Myrtle Fillmore, and at the age of around 45 or so, E.B. Weeks came into Kansas City where they were living and he was doing a talk, and Mary, I mean, uh, Myrtle Fillmore went to the talk, and one of the things that he said stuck with her. It said, I am a child of God and I don't inherit sickness, and she was told all her life that she had inherited this and she was going to die early. And so she started using that affirmation. She came out of that with such an absolute uh, statement of belief in this. Uh, I'm a child of God and I don't inherit sickness. And she used that over and over again. And over the, uh, the next year or two, she healed herself from the tuberculosis. And she began to teach others in the area. And as she did, she got more and more of a following. And pretty soon they were doing not only having people gather around at their place, remote healing. People would just let them, send them a letter and they would be healed. So very much like Phineas Quimby, she began a healing and that's how Unity got started was the healing. They didn't intend to start a church. Uh, Charles Fillmore was more the organizer, but she was the real deep uh, spirituality behind the movement. Another excellent example of letting go and letting spirit lead. Mm -hmm. We have unity today. Who has our next question? Kevin, you got a question back there? All right, I'm heading back. All this tech back here and no mics. You don't need the camera on me, Chris. <laughs> uh, there is one online. It's it's. Uh, I'll read it in a second here. One of the ones that I have, only because I've heard it from a lot of people, is how do you as ministers here for unity reconcile the language, the, the strictly Christian language that is often used concerning prayer, God, church, Christ, Jesus, words that we use. I know as a studying unity minister that we have different interpretations, metaphysical interpretations, but for a lot of people, those are still really heavy trigger words. How do you reconcile them, or how do you suggest others who are having trouble with those words reconcile them, or should they? 
I'll start because I'm not unity. <laughs> and I'll let y'all run with that. So um, that is the primary distinction between Centers for Spiritual Living's verbiage um, teachings and unity. It is that Christ language. And we really see both sides of the coin there because in Science of Mind and Centers for Spiritual Living, because we specifically do not use that language, we protect those who are traumatized by those words. However, when people grew, quite often people come to our movements because they grew up in strong, dogmatic, religious philosophies and teachings and families that often excommunicated them at some point for one thing or another. So in that trauma, they lose their community and they lose their God in a way. So when they come to Centers for Spiritual Living, I do see the downside of not using that language because a lot of people still struggle with this loss of that person God that they grew up with, which uh, while we understand that there isn't separation, however you can relate to this thing that is divine is so critical. So I think that unity is doing a wonderful job in, in using that because I'm in seeing both sides of the coin, I haven't seen it phenomenal, only one side, um, because you do have both, both of those things. Interestingly, I, I've just come back from the convention, as you know, for unity, and this was a topic that was a hot, hot topic in the convention. So if you go back historically, when unity was founded, it was a very Christian period. Mm -hmm. And so they were using the language of the time they defined themselves as practical Christianity because they weren't, they weren't dogmatic and they weren't literal in their interpretations. They were, they were taking the scriptures and looking at them from what they called a metaphysical point of view and they were, they were seeing meanings in it that were very life-giving. But as time has gone on, different unities depending on where you are. Like, as you can imagine, unity in the Bible Belt is more Christian than we are in the Pacific Northwest mm -hmm. or in California. And what I found out was that there are pockets all over the place where the communities are just not into that Christian language. People are reluctant to identify as Christian because it's really, Christianity has been hijacked by the evangelical right. And, and the values that that is projecting are not values that people want to embrace who are in the unity movement. So it's really tricky and so there was a whole presentation about how we identify ourselves as metaphysical Christians, but really and truly, by a show of hands, how many of you have a really good idea of what metaphysical means? Okay, yeah, yeah, a lot of you actually do, but also a lot of you don't. And the, the average person out there, it's, it's, not, it's not a handy idea, you know, that you, you 
innately understand. And so there's just a lot of conversation going on about how do we identify. What is true is that there's a spirituality that is bigger than the identification of that. And, and when we think about the divine, I, I really work hard to get myself and in my communication outside of the term God because it has baggage. It has a lot of baggage. And yet there's, there are levels to that. There's the allness and yet there's a personal aspect. And, and we, we're kind of binary in our thinking in Western culture and we want to say, well, pick one. Which one is it? And, and it's, there isn't a pick one. It's all of it. And so, you know, and it depends on what, what's going on in your consciousness at the moment. Do you, you know, like in a time of great difficulty, you kind of want a personal there that can hold your hand, so to speak, you know, and however you're doing it. And that, that's what I love about this whole wild soul sanctuary concept, because it's like, it works for you, good, good. You can be here <laughs> with your thing, you know, and, and we'll continue to have conversation. It's not like we're sitting up here with the right answers. You know, we're, we're sitting up with the answers we have today, and, and we have immersed ourselves in the study of this probably more than some of you have, just because this is our life's calling. But I came to address spirituality through program. And anyone at, in the room that has ever walked into a 12-step program, there's a step came to believe I could be restored to sanity by. And with that trauma that exists by whatever that definition is, whether it was God, Jesus Christ, whatever, I've watched people run right back out the door and I know for a fact 12-step programs are amazing tools to connect to something greater than yourself. And at that point, my ordainment was all quite accidental, and that's a whole story for a different day. But I had chosen or was delighted to be part of something that was world religion. I have a father of a survivor of Nazi Germany. Um, those of you that have heard my daughter Kate or Kat that she uses here, I struggle over that, um, perform, you know, she's a member of this community because she felt so welcome and included, and yet she's in Otis, Oregon right now, running the oldest Jewish camp in the country. And so, you know, to define how and what you pray with to for that celebrates you, if that's getting in the way, Let's surrender it and let it be whatever brings you to your greatest self. It's one of the reasons I love teaching the Infinite Possibilities program because it's under Mike Dooley. And Mike, by the way, got his start talking in Unity churches. I like teasing him when he's publicly speaking. He says those Unity people are a lot like us. And I keep saying, we've been around longer. You're a lot <laughs> like them. Um, and, and I also want to address even the idea of trauma and people deciding how it feels for you instead of seeing you, experiencing you, and wanting to help you and meet you wherever you are. When Joe, my husband, for those of you that know my story, was sick, it is not atypical 
and I always tell a story, don't I? Um, it is not atypical for brain cancer families to have two unemployed people momentarily, the caregiver and the patient. We were one of those families. And my son, William, who will be 21 in December, was in a very, very Christian school. You knew that. We knew it up front. We chose that because they had excellent learning difference programs for a kid his age who was in need. And I went in to meet with them asking if there was any way to put us on scholarship. We're talking, I don't want to take my kid out of the school he's in at the worst time of his life. And the woman begins by meeting with me and says, well, I need your tax returns for the last two years. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, that all changed like a week ago. What are you talking about going back two years, et cetera, et cetera. And as the conversation was not going well, she announced to me that she knew I would be fine, as would my family, because God was a glorious God. And she knew because she had ended up marrying a man who had been widowed, and she was really happy now in her life. And in that moment, I thought, I don't think any God intends this to be the conversation for me in pain and agony, etc. The conversation obviously didn't go well. We never got scholarship for my son to be there, but spirit provided other means to keep him where he needed to be. But in that moment, if I had believed her words, which were judging, condoning, damaging me in my greatest need, I would have walked out too. And so, you know, the idea of the journey is to your greatest self was something so more amazing than we could imagine by any name seems to be the best route that I can think of. I don't need that. <laughs> yeah, I just would like to add that, um, you know, I've studied a lot of different religions, and I've finally come to define myself as a spiritual person more than a religious person, even though I'm highly identified with the unity movement. Uh, but the reason for that is that uh, religion has connotations, and the word God has connotations. And the Tao Te Ching says, if you can name it, it's not the divine. You can't name the divine mystery. So the words become less important than the feelings, the emotions, and uh, the love that we give to whatever our passion is. And I love the fact that uh, unity doesn't have a creed. Mm -hmm. So it opens to who do we want to be in unity? Mm -hmm. And everybody can be who they want to be. As Charles Fillmore said, this is what I believe now, but I reserve the right to change my mind in light of higher information. Mm -hmm. And each of us has that opportunity to go beyond those words that are limiting us and just allow spirit to guide us through. And allow is a divine word in my opinion. And I think of all these religions as like a, a, a wheel with all the spokes coming from different directions and you're coming from this way and I'm coming from this way, but what's in the center, that hub, mm -hmm. that's God. Mm -hmm. And so everything else kind of becomes less important and allowing the fundamental Christians to be what they want to be. Everybody will find their way. We don't have to judge them. We, don't, we can allow. Answer this quickly. I know we're running short, but how do you think of the Malthusian principle of overpopulation? 
or effects of Anthropocene era where humans are impacting the planet at such an extreme level? This is from Michelle online. I'll start that. Uh, I'll say that if we look at the negative, it'll grow. And the more we put our energy into that, the greater it will grow. As we look at all the wonder, all the beauty, all the wonder of what's going on around us, it grows. And that's the bottom line, is where do we put our focus, where our energy goes, that's where uh, the changes occur in our life, that's where all of the good that we want to create occurs. So what are we putting our focus on? Uh, this planet will survive human beings. Maybe human beings won't survive, I don't know. Uh, I think they will, because we know population is turning, it's going down, we're learning lots of things uh, about how to do this. Trees alone could be a solution. There's so many potential solutions, so just look at the beauty out there, and as we all focus on that, it will grow, and we'll become part of the solution instead of part of the problem. I love that verb, Jim. Thank you. Um, and I would just say that in relation to what Rev. Jim is talking about, about holding the higher truth in the greater picture, we, we want to remember our individual power and how we can underestimate it. Right? I love the story Wayne Dyer talked about where he was um, walking the shores of the beach and I don't know if it was sand dollars or what have you, but there was some, some creature that there were millions on the beach. And he was picking one up and throwing it back in the water. And someone came up and said, what are you doing? That's not going to make a difference. And, you know, and he said, well, it matters to this one. And he threw it in the water. And he picked one up and he said, it matters to this one. And he threw it in the water. Right? So, what, so two things come up for me in this question. One, in this awareness that we're having, about the consequences of decisions and how our planet is hurting. What is that leading us to pay attention to? What is that leading us to listen deeper to Spirit's calling of the highest and best for each of us individually and collectively that maybe we hadn't heard otherwise? I don't know. But what can we hear? What can we glimpse? And what, can, what is ours to do? Right? I can't clean all of the oceans and plant all of the trees and save all of the I, and save the icebergs. I, I can't do that. <laughs> but there are things that I, what is mine to do in this life, to leave this planet better and to leave the planet and my communities better than I found them so that we can head in the right trend. It's here. Yeah. No? All right. River? All right. They're calling it. Sorry, Lawrence. <laughs> Hi. Is this on? There it is. Um, I have a question that is maybe a little bit difficult. Um, when you had spoken about, I believe it was Myrtle healing herself from the TB, um, and this, this belief, I'm, you know, I'm a child of God, I'm a child of the cosmos, and I don't inherit illness or sickness. This has been one of the major sticking points for me um, in really fully leaning into unity and my spiritual growth is looking at things like illness, deformity, death in young children and babies. 
because in my belief, they're the most divine. You know, it's not a question of that they had lack of faith or that they and did something, you know, to to inherit this this illness. Um, most recently, we saw it in my family. My brother's girlfriend was eight months pregnant with their first baby, perfectly healthy baby, died. I won't go into the details of how she died when we discovered that, but I am now having to reconcile this within myself. Um, it's pushed me to the point of questioning all of it, and I am also having to support my brother in a spiritual way the best I know how while he is asking me, why did loving divinity take my healthy baby? And I have, I have no answers, and maybe nobody does, but I just, it's one of those things I need help. So powerful. I know when my mother died when I was seven, I believed at the time that God took her because he needed her more somehow. And frankly, I was pissed off, but unable to even let myself feel that for more than a few seconds because that was so forbidden. You know, how could you be angry at God? But boy, was I. Um, and I think that what we're dealing with is we're smack in the middle of mystery. And, and we, we have to tread very carefully when we talk about the power of healing because healing is not the same as cure. Healing is a much bigger field. Healing comes from the same root word as wholeness. And so healing to me is a return to a knowing of ourselves as whole. But that doesn't mean our body is cured. We, we can't know all the divine intelligence. We just can't know it from where we sit in these human bodies. We can know what our hearts want. We can know what our hearts feel. And going through a tragic thing like that is all you can do is breathe. And, and we, as a community, have to guard ourselves against ever saying to somebody in that condition who's dealing with circumstances like that, come up with some platitudes about healing and what is possible. Because that is, that is really damaging. And it's, it's not truth. So Myrtle knew that for herself. And, and I think that what's important about it is knowing that this is a, in the field of all possibilities. These bodies could maybe heal. It is a possibility, but it doesn't mean it's a guarantee because the journey that we go through when we experience death or when we experience some kind of illness in the body, that is, there is so much richness in that. It's difficult. Just like if you're gonna get gold or diamonds from a mine, that's not a cakewalk. That's difficult work to get that out of the earth. And the riches that come from illness and death are, are deep and great, but difficult. And, and so, I would never want to communicate that message that because Myrtle was cured in her healing, that everybody should expect that and feel less than if they are not able to create that. 
Does that address your question sufficiently? And I'm so sorry your family is going through that. I, I, I just can't even imagine the horror. Yeah. So we are really, this happens every time. <laughs> I always wonder if there will be questions and we, we could go on for so long. Thank you all for showing up in such a beautiful way and for being a community that holds one another no matter what we're going through in a particular time. Mm -hmm.